This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So welcome to you all. What a privilege. And if we can serve you in any way, please let us know. We have extra duvets. We have extra blankets if you need some. Right, it's the beginning of the term and there's a lot of people back. We've just... I was in Indonesia. Do you like my shirt? Sorry, you can't have it. Okay. I told the pastor in um, Papua that I'll wear the shirt. And this is the conservative one. This is not the flashy one. Okay. I just want to warn you in advance for the next couple of weeks. But we've... um, Just so amazing of what God is doing all across the world. And uh, God is really moving. Not necessarily in the West... Um, we have a sort of a comfortable Christianity many times, but the Lord is raising up a standard in his church and what, a, what an amazing opportunity to be part of that. I'm going to speak this morning on God's burden bearers. Okay, normally when we think of the word burden, we think of like, oh, you know, uh, there are burdens that the world put on us and burdens that we put on ourselves, but then there's the burden of the Lord. And um, it's maybe a, not, maybe a type of a new concept to some of us, but I want to take us to one little prophet, a small prophet, a farmer boy um, that uh, was a fisherman, and his name was Amos. And we're going to start there, and then we're going to talk about that. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the entrance of your word that brings light and life. And we submit to your infallible, incorruptible word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that there's a calling, and that calling, the sound of your call, Lord, for your end-time bride to stand up, to make disciples, is coming forth, Lord. And we want to respond to that this morning. There is a cause, the cause of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. And Lord, prepare our hearts, Lord, not to play church, church this morning, but Lord, to be transformed in the fullness of Jesus. What a privilege to be able to represent you. What a name it is, the name of Jesus. We bless you for that name. <clears throat> every tribe and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we want to thank you for that privilege that we have. Amen. Cool. I don't know, every time you say that name, what resounds in your heart, it's the name of Jesus. Yeah, Hallelujah. So Amos was a former shepherd, not a, he wasn't, wasn't a prophet, he lived 700 years, 767 BC. And so Israel was uh, divided in a northern country, in a southern country, and his name was called the burden bearer. Now Israel was prospering like it has never prospered before. And so Israel, the northern country especially, um, <clears throat> thought that that was the blessing of God, but it was actually not the blessing of God. Not every blessing in your life is a sign of God's prospering. And so here Amos comes and Amos delivers a message to Israel that is not one that we really want to quote. He starts in the first two chapters and he talks about how God will destroy the enemies of Israel. And so I can just imagine this group of people say, yeah, yeah, great, great, God is for us, God is prospering us. And then in chapter 3, He turns to Israel and he turns to the heart of Israel and he begins to challenge them. And um, I want to read here just a quote on on this. It says, with the people of Israel in the north enjoying an almost unparalleled time of success, God called 
God decided to call a quiet shepherd and farmer to travel from his home in the less sinful south and carry a message of judgment to the Israelites. And the people in the north used Amos' status as a foreigner as an excuse to ignore his message of judgment for a multiplicity of sins. However, while their outer lives gleamed with the rays of success, their inner lives sank into a pit of moral decay. Rather than seeking out opportunities to do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly, they embraced their arrogance, idolatry, self-righteousness, and materialism. Amos communicated God's utter disdain for the hypocritical lives of his people. Sure. Do you feel excited about the message this morning? <laughs> okay. And so uh, let's jump into it in Amos 3. This beautiful word, he starts in the seven verses. Hear the word of, that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. That's God speaking. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into the snare of the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals the secret to his servants, the prophet. So here's this message where Amos begins to tell Israel... And it's not, not a prospering message, it's not a bless me message, it's a message to wake up. And he, in the middle of this, he, he sort of sounds this thing. He says like, if God's sound, if his word is going forth, what is the response in our hearts? And he says, God does nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. So God is speaking, and yeah, this little boy, this Amos goes up to this country, and they reject him, and they just like, but he's carrying a burden, he's carrying a call of God. And so he says, well, God has revealed these secrets to me. God has real, revealed these mysteries to me. And I think especially in the modern church, in the more charismatic church, you know, the question is not, can we trust God? The question is, can God trust you and me with these secrets? And that's why the prophetic voice is, has become silent in many Western churches, especially. Where people can say, hey, turn back to God, because sometimes we... Uh, like our consumerism and we like to tell people what they want to hear and they, therefore Amos was such a challenge to these people because they're prospering and it must be God and God says to them no sorry I want your hearts God is, hasn't got a problem with people prospering but if your heart is, if that blessing takes you away from God then that blessing becomes an idol would you agree with me and so this beautiful part before he delivers this intense message, he says, God wants to reveal his secrets to us. God wants to speak to a people that has an urgency in their hearts that can hear that call. When that trumpet goes out in the city, then people say, hey, I, I, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of doing the will of God. I want to I wanna not stand at the end of my life and say, yeah, yeah, I've done all these great things. I've been there on holiday and all that stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But if there's not a call, if there's not something, a cause in your life that makes you like say, wow, there's a kingdom. There's something greater than I'm part of. Then do you know what? You're going to just go being average through your life. 
And this was Amos. Amos, this, you know, he didn't consider himself as a prophet. He wasn't like, hey, the, he didn't quote in old King James, the Lord speaketh unto thy earth that thy must cometh henceforth and releases thy wordeth into, you know. He, he didn't speak like that. He wasn't even trained as a prophet. He didn't go to the schools of the prophet. But he is a, a man that says, hey, wake up Israel, wake up Israel, wake up church. You've lost your urgency. You've lost your passion. You've lost your hunger. You've lost your first love. And he says, well, there's certain people that you just seems like God favors them because God can trust them. And I, I want to tell us that God wants to trust us. But therefore, we need to surrender our hearts. And so, so now Amos goes on and Amos prophesies. And it's not, it's not the scriptures we put on the wall. Okay? And then at the end, right at the end, there's sort of a glimpse of hope. A couple of verses at the end of the book of Amos. Yeah? And I want to read that to us because hey, the gospel is good news. I mean, when we repent and we turn to him. And listen to this because he gives us a glimpse of not just Israel being restored, but it's also a prophetic glimpse of the church that will be restored before Christ comes back. In Amos 9, we read about that. He says, on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. That's the end of Amos. But it, it talks about an a end time church and it was specifically not just for Israel but also for us. He says, look here, the, something he's going to do in the last days, it's the tabernacle of David that he will restore. He says there will be great destruction but also great a great restoration and the difference was in God's heart he always wanted the tabernacle of David that's why I love David while the tabernacle or the temple of Solomon was all about the outward all about the religion all about the stuff that we that we add on the side and all these things are very nice but it means nothing if there's not a transformed life Amen. so I remember us being there on this one island and um so what, what happened is we, we traveled with seven hours by boat and then we got to these small islands in Indonesia. So when we got there, we, we came to a place where there was a missionary, a Dutch missionary. I think he went to this place in 1860, 1840. And this Dutch missionary arrived there in this cannibal tribe. He arrived with his own coffin. His empty coffin. So that his dead body can be transported back to the Netherlands. Because imagine leaving your life there in the Netherlands as a missionary and you're never going to see your family again. Brothers and sisters. That's how they came to Papua and Papua New Guinea. And some of them were eaten by cannibal tribes. And some tribes responded. And so we visited a lot of these islands where these missionaries would lay down their lives. And there were two German missionaries that came there. For 14 years, they only saw 10 converts that they were there. Both of them died in that place. Talking about the call of Christ. So we, I was so overwhelmed when we got there. I thought like, wow. 
if these people could travel all the way and now they're in that one island, there are so many churches and so many pastors. That guy never saw. He only saw 10 converts in 14 years. <laughs> How many of us would think that's successful? No, no, no. He's not a good church planter, you know. <laughs> He's not a church, you know. <laughs> Go and do something else in the ministry. And yet 140 years later, that whole island is Christian. But see, if, we, if we're kingdom-minded, then, then we can carry that things that God has placed in our hearts. But even that, you must know that when God deals with you and he deals with me and he works in our lives, it's for generations to come. You never know. <laughs> Maybe you think like, well, this is so insignificant. And that was, you know, we went to this um, Suzette Hattings Ministries, which is the Love Papua Ministries in Indonesia. And it is crazy, you know. When they start to pray, they, they really pray. But not just the pastors and the leaders. The workers in the kitchen, they're the ones that can really pray. And they've got one motto that the one who works in the kitchen and the one who missions in the field gets the same reward. So everybody must be able to pray. And I just love that because everyone does the work of the ministry. It's not just the guy standing in front. It's not just the small group leader. Because if people, if we wake up and we realize like there's something God wants to place in your heart. But that urgency with what he places in your heart, it is a, it, it's sometimes a frustration. And every vision, every burden is born out of a frustration. It's not born necessarily out of a great opening up of the skies. <laughs> so sometimes if you want to know what God has called you, just go look what frustrates you. <laughs> if, if you want to know where you need to serve, what is the thing that, that you're panicking about? Or what is the thing that's really like, oh, you know, if I can just change this thing in the church. Well, that's, that's you. That's why you're here. <laughs> it's not my job. It's your job. You must change it. You must pray into that, you know. And that's how a burden or a vision is birthed in our lives. It's not through the great opening up of the heavens. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> and so this is what Amos is beginning to say. He says, God has placed my whole life. He, was, he had to work with this urgency, but with this burden of, I, I look at Israel and I'm going to bring that message to Israel that Israel doesn't want to hear. But isn't that the story of the Bible? Jeremiah and Isaiah, you know. Isaiah gets this vision from God and then God sends him back to the people and for the rest of his life, Isaiah prophesies and says, hey, you stiff-necked, you hard-necked people, turn back to God. <laughs> but isn't that the story of Daniel and Joseph and David and Paul and everyone we read, Peter, everyone we read in the Bible of is not because it was like a fun-full joy adventure. God calls us to die to something and that dies first to yourself. And not a lot of Christians say yes to that. Not a lot of Christians put up their hand and say, hey, sure. And it starts in your intercession life. It starts where you, like Amos, can say, I, I can see, you know. I can see what God wants to do. You can read on there in, in Amos 9 what he prophesies. But let's go to the New Testament in Matthew 11, talking about this issue of carrying a, a burden and, and being able to say to God, God, I'm not just going to be a consumer Christian. I'm not going to just go through this life trying to do a couple of things and then just receive, receive, receive. Because a lot of people, especially in the West, are living a Christianity that is not biblical. It's a comfortable consumer Christianity. 
where God is really here to serve us and prosper us while we are here to serve him, to make him glorious. That is why you're here, to have an intimate relationship with him. But then if you are in love with somebody, you will tell the whole world. <laughs> I mean, no, but I'm not an evangelist, but you're a Christian. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. So we love the first part. Come to me. All who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Yeah, wonderful. It starts with coming to God. But there's a burden, that word for burden is a task or a service or a calling. It's the work of God and it's not a religious do a lot of things for God. We're not talking about doing a list of things for God. It's about carrying something, a calling deep inside of you that you realize like, wow, if I don't, if I don't fulfill this, it's the will of God for my life. It's the fullness of God. So, so Jesus says, come to me if you are heavy laden, if, you have, you know, if there's a lot of burdens in the world, if there's stuff in your life, the fears, this, all that stuff. Because the world wants to put a lot of burdens on us and you and I, we put a lot of burdens on ourselves. Worries and anxieties and fears. And the Lord says, come and bring me that. Because that burden, if you let that burden come on you, then the other burden of God will never happen in your life. But there is a yoke of God and there is a burden of the Lord. Because we think like, yeah, yeah, the first part is great, bring it to God. But then he says, I want to exchange it for something else. It's a yoke, it's a burden that I want to give you. And that yoke is the picture of the ox. They had two oxes pulling together and then they would make that, that, that yoke fit two oxes perfectly. So they doesn't scratch the one ox or doesn't fit him. That yoke would be made perfectly so that two oxes can pull together. So Jesus, the picture that he has is, I'm going to stand here and I want you to stand next to me and we're going to yoke together. I'm going to teach you to pull together. So it's not, you're not doing something alone. You're not doing something for God. There's a yoke of the Lord that you and I must come in. And, and he's inviting us to that. Because he says, it's, it's easy. It's, you'll find a rest for your souls. And you know, there's this thing that says to us, if you do the work of God, you're going to burn out. But if you're already in the will of God, you can't burn out. Because his yoke fits perfectly. And, but don't try to operate. Don't try to be a Sias or don't try to be a Kumi. Don't, don't, don't try to operate in somebody else's yoke. God has given something to you. and That's called ministry, discipleship. There's a place with something that, that you can bring, that you can yoke with Christ together to partner with him. You know, we were in this one church and as we went up, I realized like there's a lot of witchcraft in this one area. So I said to the team, guys, tonight you need to pray for the interpreter. There's a, there's a curse on the interpreter. Somebody's come. And so I think three minutes into the starting to preach, the interpreter just turned to me. Well, first, to the, there was a German guy with us that, that spoke a bit. And after three minutes, the interpreter couldn't hear anything. She just went blank. She says, I can't hear anything you're saying. So now as we stopped the meeting, we started to pray for the interpreter. Five minutes later, when, when I started preaching, the interpreter says, something is choking me. I can't breathe. <laughs> you know? So I just started to laugh. I realized, like, yeah, devil, you always try to come through the back door, you know? 
But it's so amazing to work with God. So he laid hands on her and then she started to laugh. And the interpreter was very pure. So, so what happens sometimes is when I preach, then the interpreter would say, wow, okay. And I said, okay, now you need to interpret it. <laughs> she would stand there like as if the sermon was just for her, you know. <laughs> but yo, that night there were so many manifestations and deliverance and you realize like the devil always tries to push his hand and then he overstretches, you know. And they realized, like, ah, I love it when God's plan comes together. Because God told us before the time, so we broke up into groups to pray every 20 minutes during the service. Because we realized, like, tonight there's a massive battle going on. But that's amazing to partner with Jesus, because he knows long before that thing started to happen that we should pray for the interpreter. And we just, I just, when she was just like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't prove it. I, said, I just started to laugh. I said, ah, oh, devil, you're trying again, you know. But you are defeated. And so, so being in the will of God is the greatest place in your life. And that's why it says, come to me. First Peter 1 verse 5 to 7 says, bring your burdens, cast your cares. Learn to bring the worldly and the stuff, the fears, bring to cast it upon God. You must every day be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And then, then he'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. You have to learn to bring the worldly burdens, the stuff from the outside, bring it to him. Proverbs 3 talks about it, and John 15 talks about being abiding in the vine. A constant place of abiding in him. And that's, that's when we, when, if you want to take up the burden from the Lord or the will of the Lord for your life, you have to learn to come to him first. Come to him and lay down all the other stuff. And there's never been like a generation that are so distracted like this generation. With phones and internet and noises around us and that was, was was so great to be there on the islands and there's no internet there's no nothing you just think like this is the ends of the earth you know the the angels come and visit sometimes but then they forget to come here you know but um, it's just crazy when you're just out of this world and you realize like wow i'm actually so distracted there's so many noises and i need to learn to quiet those noises and that's why i have to come to him I have to learn to give it to him. And then the second thing Jesus says, don't just come to me. He says, take my yoke. He says, it's easy. It's well fitting. So the will of God is not work. It's actually rest. No, but the, the, the will of God is so tiresome. It's no, no, it's, it's actually rest. When the Bible talks in the beginning, when, when the Bible talks about Jesus, the Lord rested after creation, he was actually constantly at work. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's constantly making intercession. It's the place of rest. So sometimes our concept of rest is like, hey, take off from the Lord. Go on holiday and switch off from the Lord. That's not the concept of rest. The concept of rest is to yoke with Christ. To enter into a place where there's no burdens from the outside, but you're entering into partnership with God. And then the third thing he says is learn from me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to, I'm going to get, take you on this adventure. Not just you come to me, there's a yoke I want to place with you. So there, there's going to be stuff. But in that process, it's a learning process. Because he says, I am humble. He says, humility is the key. I think it was Francis of Assisi that asked him, like, what's the great key to life and to ministry and changing the world? He says, there are three. Humility, humility, humility. Whoa. <laughs> Listen to what uh, Charles Finney, Charles Finney was a great um, guy that God used. 
He describes the yoke of Christ as the following. And I don't know if you, you're not going to be able to have time to write it down, maybe take a picture, I don't know. He says, to accept God's will as our universal rule of action. To accept it. First you need to accept God has got a will. The second thing is to enter into a voluntary state of entire subjection to that will. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. It's a constant surrender to that will. Because you have a will, the world has a will for you. <laughs> the place where you work sometimes has a will for you, but there's a will of Christ, there's a will of God for your life. And to submit yourself. It's almost like this picture of this horse that has been broken in, that is been tamed, that is coming under the will of the one who rides it. I grew up on a farm and uh, the worst thing that you can have is a horse that has not been tamed, that's not been broken in. You can do nothing with that thing. It can have all the power, all the stuff, but you have to learn sometimes through a process. And how you break in a horse is basically take that thing in a circle and you just make it run and run and run and run. And then you speak to that horse. You, have, you tie a rope to it and you just make it run around and around and get it into rhythms. Break in the will. And then later on you put something on its back and that horse does not want to receive anything on its back. And then you teach that horse that submission to the will of the rider or the owner. And it's the amaz most amazing thing. I don't know if, you, if, you, if you've been used to or know how you, you know, riding horses. Now, I had a, a horse that, uh, a, a, like, that could do, like, triple, that, that do, was a show horse. And it's amazing how you can steer that massive horse just by touching gently and turning on its neck. I would just tap the horse twice like this, and then this whole ton <laughs> would turn to the right. But the, that's a beautiful picture of the Christian who submits its will to God. So to accept his will, to enter into a place where you say, I'm not just going to accept that God has got a will, but I'm going to voluntarily surrender to that will. And then you commit to a loving, confiding servitude. You commit to his will. And then you become obedient to it. It's, it's a beautiful four steps that he gives, and I wish we had lots of time, but we don't have a lot of time. But he says, number four, to commit ourselves to universal obedience to Christ from love to him, sympathy with him, and confidence in him. Meaning that it's easy because, it's because of the love. That's the motivation. God hasn't got like a 10 ton thing on a formula and five steps to this and make you a better Christian by this. He says, because of a love relationship, you want to do something for that person. You know, if you're in love with somebody, you're just like, wow, I, I, I want to know what's your heart. I want to serve you. I want to, it's like a voluntary, like submitting to that thing, to that person. And don't call your wife a thing. Just that, you know, you, you know what I mean. Okay, so that, that amazing person, but now you, you don't, you know. In the beginning, you buy somebody presents because of what you want. But eventually you realize like, hey, sometimes it's not the present. It's just like, I've learned what's your, in your heart. And because of that, I want to bless you. I want to, I want to serve you. Because of love. Not because of a formula or not because I must serve. 
And this is what Jesus tells us. He says, look here, if, if, if we as Christians don't live obedient lifestyles, then we don't really love him. But it's not a yoke. It's not a like, I must go to church because do you know what? The pastor doesn't see me at church and then he gives me a phone call or when I walk past him in the, in the supermarket, then you realize like, oh, you know. Now please, don't come to church because you must come to church. Then we're just playing church, church. But if you're coming to church because you want to say, Lord, I am the church. This isn't church. This is just celebration. I mean, this isn't church. You are the church. Our relationships, that's the church. What happens in the week, that's church. Because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so every day as you disciple, as you minister, as you release God's kingdom through your life, you realize like, hey, I'm not switching God on and off on the morning when I do quiet time or when I go to small group or when I go to me to mentoring. I can't switch God on and off. I am a temple and he dwells in me. Whoa. And this temple can worship him every day by the work I do tomorrow morning, how I raise my kids how I speak about him, how I'm in conversation, everything about me is worship. Because this is a temple that wants to glorify him. Amen? Sure, I've got 10 sermons. I've been away for three weeks, so I've got 10 sermons. So if you don't say amen enough, we're going to be here till 3 p.m. Lock the doors. Amen. We're fasting today. Okay, so, so a surrendering to that will, that's what God has called us, and that's why... The most powerful thing of the cross, I've realized, is, is not the suffering Christ has gone through, but it started by surrendering his will to the Father. Father, not my will, but your will. Now we're doing a, a book for, of Richard Foster in the small groups, and he says something powerful in the beginning of that book. He says, he says we sometimes in church teach people to force their will and and so we what we try to do is we just preach a moral gospel so we tell people just become a better christian just enforce your will more to do things a christian should do but he says that's wrong because the act of christianity is to surrender your will where you realize i can do nothing it's not in my own strength that I can become a Christian. It's not in my own strength and my own will that I can be a good Christian. It's not in my own strength and my own will that I can finish strong one day and stand before him. It's by grace. It's by surrendering. And that's why Jesus says, when you come to me, learn to surrender the other burdens, but I'm going to give you a yoke and my yoke and my burden, my task, my will is easy for you, but you're going to need to learn all the way. And that's why teachability is so important. That's why surrendering your will every day. And it's so difficult, especially for the control freaks among us. We all have this bit of, I want to control. And when I'm good enough, then I'm going to surrender to God. But that's not the story of Christianity. It's not just about being morally good. It's about a surrendered life to him. I mean, and so some of us must learn before we try to be good for a surrender. And that's so difficult. That is so difficult for us. Okay, question quickly. If you are passionate about something in your life, in the kingdom of God, 
there's something that, that's really stirring you or something, you know, because remember Amos' story, the, one of the reasons why Amos prophesied was not just because of the hearts of the people, but because there was no justice and especially no social justice. He says, hey, you are prospering, you're going wild, but you know what? There's so many people that are suffering out there and you're prospering and that's amazing, but you know what? God hates injustice. And that was part of the reason why God brought such a hard word and challenged them. He says, because now your prospering is just for yourself. You don't realize why I've prospered you is so that you can be a blessing to all the other nations. But maybe there's something in your heart and I want you to, for two minutes to talk to somebody next to you. What, what is that thing that you are sometimes frustrated with? If you can change something for the kingdom of God or for church, what would that be? Quickly, turn to somebody next to you. I'm going to give you a minute. Maybe there are three or four things. Okay, so the second question I want to ask you is, after you've identified and, and said, sure, you know, I, I like hosting people, or I like this, or I like to, well, that thing frustrates me in the church. That thing frustrates me in the kingdom of God. It means like, hey, God wants to give you the key. God wants to give you the answer. And you need to go and pray about, Lord, what, what is that thing? You know, when we were on this trip, there was like 20 of us that went on this mission trip. And it's amazing when people are taken out of their comfort zone. So we, at a stage, traveled with these little boats to this one island. And then eventually we got so late that in the middle of the night, we had to travel for an hour and a half in the deep sea with these boats back to one of the destinations. And so the water was all over. Now they have one little spotlight in front of these little boats and 10 on a boat. Now you can imagine how people feel. And I just said to the one guy, don't tell your mother. Don't tell your mother that we're here. Okay, just like... Okay, so don't tell his mother, okay? Don't, don't, don't. She's not yes. Hallelujah. So, but, so, so now we're traveling on this little boat here in the middle of the night. You don't know if there's, you can sort of see there's the land, you know. And so they try to stay away from the land. And it's just well, like we're soaking wet. Everything is wet because it's just splashing and there's a massive wind on the sea, you know. Um, and we just say to each other, hallelujah, Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat, you know. <laughs> but eventually... Yeah, we just decided like, wow, if all else fails, what do you do? Worship. So we just started to worship the Lord. It was one of the most blessed hours ever. Being soaking wet, it was so cold, it, everything is wet, and we just worship the Lord. Because yeah, if, if, the, if the cookie hits the fan, I don't know what you say in the other countries for that, you know, if the pawpaw hits the fan, if the, I don't know what hits the fan, you know, um, but if something hits the fan, you know, um, then the amazing thing is what comes out of your heart? Is it worship? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these moments. Because the waves were quite big. It was huge. But Lord, to be in your will because we knew we were in God's perfect will. You know, the one, we actually stayed in that place full of witchcraft and a half an hour after we left, the house that we stayed burnt down. Completely to the ground. So everywhere we went, we realized like the devil does not like what we're doing. But to be in God's will is the most amazing place. Because you realize the devil can try all his tricks, but to be in God's will. To say yes to that call. And not a lot of people do. And you know, one of the reasons as we were on this trip is we had this session 
where everyone in the trip could share their greatest fear. It, was, it just amazed me that now we're on a mission trip in Indonesia. We've been preparing for lots of months and praying and all that stuff. Everyone on that team felt inadequate or had some or other fear. Now, and most of them had a fear of not being good enough. What if? And that's one of the biggest lies that the devil gives to the modern church, and especially if we become consumeristic, is that God does not want to use me. God uses some great people. But that's why Amos and Jeremiah and all these people, do you know the most people that God called out of in Scripture were normal farmers and normal rural people that just wanted to run away? Moses said, oh Lord, I can't speak. Lord, Lord, David was a shepherd's boy. Not many people were called from great cities. That's actually a very weird concept. Jesus called fishermen. He called ordinary people. And that's the story of the gospel. Because God will not share his glory with anybody. But the, the question to me is, what is the fear in your heart today that is keeping you from surrendering and saying yes to the burden of the Lord, to the yoke of God in your life. And you have to deal with that because that thing is not an excuse one day when you stand before him. No, I didn't have enough money. No, I'm not talking about mission trips here today. I'm talking about just ordinary life. Living life to the fullest for Christ. No, 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 but if I fix this, then that is going to happen. But excuses is not, does not qualify. And let me tell you, I wish we had time to go to each one here this morning and ask him, like, like, in what area do you feel intimidated or inadequate? Because maybe you're sitting here this morning, even in church, and you think, like, oh, too many people. Too. But, hey, you're going to be in heaven with millions and billions of people. Are you going to say to God, God, I don't want to be here, too many people, you know? I'm an introvert. <laughs> That's not going to work in heaven, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry, introverts. I'm, not, I'm just, I do, you know what? But listen to this in Galatians 6, last scripture. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own. No, no, but, but I faithfully attended church. No, no, you have a burden to bear. Each one shall bear his own burden, but then also let's bear one another's burden, especially if somebody's fallen or somebody's, let's restore them in gentleness, Scripture says. So we yoke together with Christ, but there's also, there's a burden you have to take up. There's a yoke Jesus wants to give you. But if you and I just want to be served, you're never going to fulfill that joy. Of Christ using you. And I want to tell you. He wants to use you. I want to challenge you. Stop living for yourself. Surrender to the will of God. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.